Hi, I'm Dr. Akiva Down. And I'm Rabbi Avi Green. And welcome to Interesting Questions. In this podcast, we'll be addressing issues that are philosophical, religious, and psychological in nature, and exploring some of the deeper questions as we go into Season 2. We will be focusing on that which is considered to be controversial, and there may not be a right or wrong answer. So we are hoping that our discussions will yield more questions for your Shabbos table. Welcome to another week of interesting questions. We are up to Pirkei Avot, Mishnah Tetvav, the 15th Mishnah of the first chapter of Ethics of Our Fathers, where Shammai Omer, Shammai says, Asei Toratcha Keva, make your Torah study a fixed practice. Amor ma'at va'asei harbei, say little and do much. Ve'heve mekabel et kol ha'adam besever panim yafot. And receive every person with a positive facial expression, with, with pleasantness. So, again, three parts, very clearly three parts here, Akiva, and I think we should jump into the first part, which is, Asei Torah Cha Keva, make your Torah study a fixed practice. And I thought it might be good for us to talk about the importance of schedules and people having a regular schedule to do things, and how important is that for us as human beings versus the idea of when should we try to be um, more spontaneous and do things that at least seem spontaneous. Well, I have to say, this is really perfect timing because we have just here in Florida... Uh, finished the three weeks of yeshiva break, right? We have, I believe it's been broken up into about three weeks now. So um, we here have been having lots of tourism, lots of visitors, both in our community and in surrounding neighborhoods. And I think we can all say that for both those visiting as well as those being visited, it's disruptive to our schedule. It's hard to have a schedule when you're on vacation. It's hard to have a schedule when you have people visiting. Your regular routines get disrupted. And so I think it it makes perfect sense to kind of just start with asking our audience, as well as maybe even throwing it back to you, Avi, um, how it's been working. Because I think we can all say it's disruptive. And Avi, I'm going to actually ask you even more so because... You have several different schedules, and if I recall correctly, your school does not take a classic yeshiva break during yeshiva break time, which probably adds to the additional, because isn't there some people that are on that schedule? Yeah, so my family has a blended vacation schedule, where some of us are off uh, towards the end of December, beginning of January, and some of us are off at the end of January for yeshiva break. Um, and so that makes it challenging because we have to figure out child care coverage and when can we go on some sort of vacation and when can we not. Um, in addition to that, probably like many families, I have kids at various ages. And that means that um, what you might want to do 
on a vacation with some kids who are a little bit older might not necessarily be what the younger kids find to be fun and vice versa. And so trying to figure all of those out is definitely disruptive. Um, and, and even when you have um, extended family members, which I'm lucky enough to have who have come in to help support um, and watch the younger one, that can also be disruptive, right? Because they have to displace somebody else from their bedroom or they have to, you know, they want to go out to eat or they want, you know, to do their own thing. Um, and so figuring all of that out can definitely be disruptive. So, yeah, and, and I don't think that's anything that no one can, that anyone can't relate to. Uh, I think that's certainly very relatable, and, and many of us have similar difficulties and challenges. And that kind of just showcases a little bit the difficulty with when our schedules get disrupted. Now, the reason why I didn't start with the fact that we all have schedules is because, quite frankly, from about the age of five, sometimes younger, until some of us decide to retire or are able to retire or are placed in a position where they retire, we have a schedule. When we're in kindergarten uh, through 12th grade, roughly, we go to school. We go to school when someone tells us to go to school. If we go on to higher education, we still sign up for classes, and we may think we pick our own schedule, which, by the way, is still a schedule, but we also take what's offered. We don't make up our own schedule. And then when you get a job, you take a schedule, and if you have your own business, you make a schedule. Otherwise, you follow somebody else's made schedule. So we, for the better part of our lives, follow a schedule and a routine, and I know that I find for myself, when I'm not on my schedule, things get completely thrown. We thrive off of schedules. We thrive off of the opportunity to have a routine, to know what's going to come, and to know what to expect relatively for our day. I mean, certainly I think there's a degree, there's a, you know, we, we, have, we have family who they decided at one point when they had young children to take their first trip to Disney World. And they mapped out the entire visit, the entire plan, everything, what time we're going to do this, how long it's going to take to do that. They forgot to plan in bathroom time, by the way. So that was the fun joke in the family. But at the end of the day, why did that happen? Well, in part because Disney World can be overwhelming, especially if it's not your first or if it's your is your first time. And... You want to try and have a plan, but because in general, we know that as human beings, most of us thrive off of a schedule. And it's important because it helps us know what we're supposed to do. It helps to decrease anxiety. Those of us who struggle with anxiety or even commonplace worry. People who don't suffer with anxiety do still worry very normally about, am I supposed to be doing something right now? Or did I forget something? And that's the other piece, right? When we know that we have put something in our calendar, either virtual or written or in some way marked off that this time is spoken for, then we know to plan accordingly. It gives us an opportunity to know what we need to do and when we need to do it and make sure that we haven't forgotten things. So having a, a to-do list Having a schedule, very important for people's baseline functioning. And oftentimes when I see people 
when they are especially either nearing retirement or in the early stages of retirement, a lot of what they're dealing with and struggling with is they don't have a schedule. They don't have a routine. For any of us who are stuck in that schedule, seemingly in perpetuity, yeah, we think about, oh my God, how great would it be to not have to do something and just lie in bed and relax, watch TV. I would do this. I would do that. Well, most of us notice that that's good for a couple days. It's restful. It's relaxing. It's refreshing. But even two weeks, that's a long time to not know what you're supposed to do. And I actually have had some, some students who are in college who have mentioned how it's difficult when they transition to having winter break or summer break and they don't have that which they're supposed to do. They do get a little bit weary and uncertain and uncomfortable with that free time because it's not the normal. It's not what we consider to be appropriate as a society. And so I do think that even in general, this idea of those prolonged breaks really also sets us up for a lack of success in other areas as well because in general it teaches kids that you get two-month breaks, which unless you're a teacher who doesn't have to work over the summer, which is really not many, you have work. Maybe you get two weeks off. Even in, even in other cultures, and I can't speak too much to that, but there are other nations that certainly doesn't, don't have this, this same level of, well, what we generally refer to it as this Puritan mindset, uh, but I don't think it's just Puritans. Or, or um, lack of work-life balance. Yeah, that's another way to put it. Um, but, you know, I, I wonder if we have any of our, of our listeners who do perhaps have the European culture, which I believe does tend to have more of a work-life balance. I'd be curious whether or not you still find yourself needing a schedule, even in those times where it's your personal life. I'm going to venture a guess and say probably the answer is yes. And so I'd like to toss it back to you, though, Avi, because specifically... Right? We know that we can extrapolate this to have a schedule and have a fixed practice for things, but the importance of making Torah study a fixed practice. Why is it so important that you can't just, oh, I have a couple of minutes here, I might as well you know, open up a, a sefer and start reading and start learning. Tell us why it's so important to have a time. So I think there are a couple of components. One is that it's a subset of what you already said, Right. Without a schedule, it's far too challenging for us to say, will I remember to do it? Won't I do it? Right? And it's one of those things that I think for many of us, we're not running to do it. We'd like to do it. Right? It's sort of like going to the gym. We know it's good for us. It, we know it's something we should do. But it's so much easier just to lie in bed in the morning. And so Torah study can be the same sort of thing. I'd like to do it. But it's intellectually challenging, and it's not always necessarily a lot of fun. And so I'll get to it when I get to it, and then we never quite get to it. Whereas if I've put it into my schedule and I say, I'm going to dedicate an hour a week to Torah study, whether it's by listening to podcasts or whether it's by going to a class at my synagogue or whether it's by I'm going to sit down with a friend and we are going to read something together, um, then... I've, I've 
dedicated that time, right? I've actually made that time holy in the sense that I have set it aside. And from a Jewish perspective, that's what we we talk about when we talk about things being holy. We have set it aside in time and or space. And now I have nothing else or I should not have anything else to use that time for. That time is meant for this. So if I'm doing that, then now I free up my my intellectual abilities, I free up my time, and I say, this is what I should be doing during this time. I don't have to feel guilty about not doing other things that maybe I should be doing, like spending time with my family or, um, you know, or doing work. No, I've set this time aside, and my family knows it, and my job knows it, and, you know, if I'm Tuesday nights, 8 to 9, this is what I do, then that's what I've built into my schedule. My family knows it. Everybody knows it. I know it. And I don't have to feel like I'm stealing time from someplace else. And the other thing is when you try and, and learn something in small snippets, first of all, it can be very difficult to see the big picture, see the whole. It can also be very difficult to give it real intellectual horsepower. Right? You can sit there and go, oh, I read something. Did I really understand it? Did I try and dive deeper into its, its thoughtful understanding? Or did I just sort of skim it at the most basic level? And I think that as adults, you know, sometimes we go back to the Judaism we learned as a child and we rely on it to a great extent. And that's, to me, a shame because what we learn as children regardless of the subject, is really sort of the surface level of whatever it is. And if we want to understand it at a deeper level, if we want to appreciate it at a more, in a more thoughtful way, we really need to dive deeper into it, whether it's how clouds work, whether it's the stories of Breshit, whether it is whatever it is that might interest you on a particular day. And so I think the idea of setting a time aside, setting time aside specifically for Torah study is critical. That being said, I want to go to the next piece, which is Amor Ma'at Va'aseh Harbe, say little and do much. And you know, in business, this may be referred to as underpromise and overdeliver, but I think there's a lot more to it. So I'm going to turn it back to you, Akiva. Tell me more about say little and do much. It's actually interesting to me because we have so many different phrases that come about with this idea, right? We have the under-promise and over-deliver, say little and do much, walk softly and carry a big stick, which really is all in the same realm, even though one is potentially more aggressive than the others, uh, although one can argue that business can be rather aggressive as well. Um, it's, it's the idea of action speak, right? We have that phrase too, actions speak louder than words, which is again, this same thing. At the end of the day, it's important to remember, and I experienced this and worked through this a lot with my patients, especially when they're in early recovery. Um, people hear a lot of stuff. We say a lot of things when we're struggling people who are in early recovery, who those are the most difficult times to maintain and sustain recovery, you can say 
This is what it is. This is what it's going to be, right? And and that's true for anything. We can say, I'm going to set aside to- time to study Torah. We can say, I'm going to give more tzedakah. I'm going to spend time with my family more often. I'm going to, you know, do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to put more time into caring and listening to my friends. It's great to say it. But saying it is meaningless unless you do it. So if you say, I'm going to study Torah, and you put it in your calendar, and you don't ever do that activity, then you haven't done anything. You've said it, right? And I think this is the idea, this is a little bit juxtaposed to, we have a concept where, um, right, if you, if you were walking to Shul, you had an intention of walking to Shul, and it's raining, and so you know you need to go because you have to help make that minion. And it's raining, and it turns out that either a minion didn't appear, or for some other reason their shul doors were locked. Maybe it was, you know, in Florida, a hurricane, and they decided that it wasn't safe to go. But you went, right? You get the credit for going and for doing, right? Even if you didn't do. But that doesn't count. And the truth is, is that part of that is, is it's not the I said I was going to go. I did it. And so even that, the focus is, I did. Um, I have to say, I think that there's probably not much more to say about that. No pun intended. But uh, let's move on to the, to the last piece. Um, Avi, tell us, tell us about, I mean, because I'm going to, I'm kind of challenged by this one a little bit, so I want you to first go into a little bit more of why why is it so important to walk around just with a positive expression? So I think that there are two components to this. One is right because I when I first read it, it, it says, right, and receive every person with pleasantness and so there's the what I'll call the base level right you're walking around you see somebody you say good morning how are you hi right Uh, basic pleasantries and part of that is simply trying to create a society in which people can live together work together communicate in a meaningful way. But then I think there's a slightly deeper level. And I think it's the idea of trying to emotionally prepare yourself or emotionally um, set yourself up so that you are in a positive frame of mind. And that when you engage with others, you are doing it in positivity. It's very easy when challenges come to us. They come to all of us at different times to let them get us down and to say, I'm so frustrated. My business partner is messing me over or I had a fight with my wife or I got into a car accident and and thank God everybody's okay, but now I got to deal with all the paperwork and the insurance and everything that goes, whatever the case may be. And it's easy to let those things, some of which may be small things, some of which may be large things, 
cloud our face and cloud our relationships. But I think it's possible to try and look at the larger picture and say, but in the grand scheme of things, things are going pretty well for me. I have my health, if I do. I have another day where I have opportunities. And also, and, and so I should try to exude that positivity. The other thing is that when you're meeting somebody, especially if you're, whether you're meeting them for the first time or not, I suppose, it's not their fault that you're having a bad day. And so the idea that I have a dour look on my face, I have a negative attitude when I meet you, well, now that's going to rub off on you. It's not your fault. You didn't do anything to create the situation I'm in. And so I think being aware of our emotional state and trying to keep perspective of it is important. But since that's more your area than mine, I'll turn it back over to you. So I have to say, I like a lot of what you had to share because I think it's important. I think the piece that perhaps you were getting to... um, that I will add on to is this idea that perhaps it is in some ways at face value. When it says receive every person with a positive, uh, what I presume should be countenance, um, you can receive someone in a positive way and it doesn't mean that you have to be feeling good. right? And I think that's perhaps the part where Maybe that surface level is missed. Is It's not saying be positive. It's saying be warm, be inviting, be have a way about you that invites people into a place where they can feel welcome. And I think this is something that I come across a lot, where people don't necessarily understand the, the, the separation between the two. Right? I have people all the time, you know, they ask them, you know, I always start with, how are you? And they usually begin with, good. I say, it's great, why? And they say, how? what do you mean, why? I say, well, if you said it wasn't good, you would expect that I would want to know why. And they say, yeah, of course. I say, well, why isn't it just as important, if not more important, why things are good? And, and that's the important piece. That's the opportunity to remember the gratitude, remember what you do have going on positively in your life. Um, And I think the other pieces is that there are times when we're just, as a society, attuned. And this is the part where I was initially somewhat uh, thrown how to interpret this, which was, as a society, we walk around and, how are you? Good. Fine. Things are good. Have a nice day. Right? We're focused on everything must be positive. And I think in that realm, as we look deeper into this, which says to just be more welcoming and warm and inviting doesn't say be positive and the reason why that's so important is because when the other thing that happens is oftentimes we're like how are you thank god that's a great answer except when your psychiatrist asks you how are you because when i ask how are you i want to know and the truth is is that we all have those people in our life who we will just say it's fine 
Right? We don't want to get into it. We don't want to share what's actually going on because we don't have that relationship, which is normal and healthy. We should not be sharing every single thing of every single piece of our life with every single person we come across. And there are people in our life where it's important that they do know the actuality of what's going on in our lives, who are sources of support. We can still be welcoming. We can still invite them and be warm in our invitation to hear what we have to say. And what that does is that helps them to feel that it has nothing to do with them. And even if it does have something to do with them, because let's face it, the people that we're closest with are the ones who bother us the most sometimes. And the fact is, is that we can choose to say this is going to end our relationship or we can be warm and inviting and say, you know, I think we need to talk about this because I don't want this to go that way. I want to instead make sure that you know that even if you've done something or I've done something that we're upset about, we can work through this and figure it out together because what's more important is the entirety of the relationship. So I think it's time for our question for Around the Shabbos Table. And the question I'm going to ask goes back to the very first third of what we talked about, which is that you should make your Torah study uh, regular. And I'm going to put out there the following question. What one positive thing, whether it's Torah study or something else, what one positive thing would you like to add to your schedule? And to go to our second part, how do you make sure you do it and not just say it? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to reach us, you can reach us at iqdiscuss at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you and responding.